0: And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're going to be taking a look at Revelation chapter 18. I'm still getting some good feedback on these. I appreciate that. Uh, Again, I want you to understand that uh, although I am doing uh, some study on on these things, it's a difficult book to work through. I am standing on the shoulders of other great men, Guy Orbison and and others as well, some commentaries I like. So... uh, Uh, But I do appreciate the the, the kind words so many of you have given me. Uh, If you're out there today, uh, I know yesterday, down there around the 101 and the 51 up here up up north, Phoenix area, got what appeared to be snow. I mean, when you look on those webcams on the, the roads and pictures from people on Facebook, it looks like snow. I know it was hell, but here in Phoenix, we we just go ahead and call that snow. It was crazy looking. I wish we had some up here, not the hell, but it's just, my kids would have loved that. What a, what, uh, what exciting time. Here we are in December. It's the holidays, right? Christmas is right down the road. Wonderful time of the year. As the song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And, um, And just a little excursus here, I I know it's uh, Christmas time, our our minds, our hearts, our thoughts are hopefully Lord willing upon the things of God. I I think that's good. Now, for all my uh, friends out there who are shaking their heads, Chris, this is not a Christian holiday, or Jesus was not born on December 25th, yes, you are right. Jesus was not born December the 25th. Uh, I also don't cre- make this a, um, a, you know, a a holiday where we praise Jesus in, in my household. We don't do that specifically on that day. I want my children to learn to love God as a daily habit. But I will not uh, try to hold back anybody who's in the world, not a member of the body of Christ, who... Never darken the doorway of the church throughout the whole year. I'm not going to hinder them from thinking about the things of God or even think, you know, it's Christmas. I think maybe we'll go to a Sunday morning service. Good. At least that's something. Maybe a seed will be planted. Maybe an opportunity will arise and a Bible study will come of it and we can get them to see things a little better. That's a good thing. I want to take those opportunities when I can. Uh, and I, well, and I don't, I, I should have, I think maybe next week I might do a radio program just on Christmas and the idea of Santa Claus. And should we let our children believe in Santa Claus? Well, just so you can know, I, my kids think there's a Santa Claus. And there is something that uh, somebody posted on Facebook. I read this. It was fantastic. Something you say to your child. When they realize Santa is not real, and it was great, it was wonderful, and I hope I can—I'm going to save it, and uh, and hope that that's what I want to do. It's something I've always wanted to do, but I've been didn't know the right words to say. But boy, I'm going to share that with you, Lord willing, next week. But for now, let's get to Revelation chapter 18. We've been uh, working through this for a little while. Chapter 17. Uh, see, yeah, chapter sixteen where you had the six bowls of wrath, and then the seventh bowl at the end. Uh, Chapter seventeen and eighteen, kind of an excursus. And let's start by reading verses one through three of Revelation chapter eighteen. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. All right. I've got my coffee here because it's cold. I'm, I'm recording this in the morning. That's verse 1. Another angel. We're, we're tempted. We are tempted to think this is the Christ here uh, because the way this, this angel's is uh, defined for us or, or described for us. But, Again, it is unlikely that he would be referred to as an angel throughout these letters. this letter. Maybe or perhaps the archangel is in mind here. Uh, that's just an opinion, but I don't think this is the Christ. Uh, earth is illumined with his glory. It indicates to me that he comes with heavenly authority, is what I see there. Verse 2. The pronouncement of the destruction of Babylon is reminiscent of the Old Testament prophecies against the cities and nations who oppose God. They would become desolate, uh, good for nothing except for a place for wild animals, uh, a dimension of the spirit beings, those demons, the unclean spirits, hateful birds of the air. uh, Points us again to a spiritual interpretation of Babylon as opposed to an actual city. Verse 3, you got the kings of the earth, uh, probably refers to the leaders of various nations who ruled their people through sinfulness, opposing God's will. You got the merchants also mentioned, promoters of what sin offers. Uh, the range of possibilities might extend, um, you know, maybe uh, atheistic teachers, uh, to clothes designers, movie makers, uh, and all these things. The uh, reason why I mention those two is because the way people dress. The provocative way people dress, um, you know, it, it shifts the mind towards certain things. Movies are designed to promote evil nowadays, and um, so I would put those in there. So uh, you know, these have become rich, uh, monetarily wealth, more than likely, symbolizing the fact that they have uh, won many souls to Babylon, and they become rich uh, doing that. Verses four through eight. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds, in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, in the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her, is strong. The verse the verse uh, the first voice viewed Babylon as having already fallen, verses 4 and 5 here. But this voice views Babylon as she was when standing in her seduction. So come out is the call. God calls upon his people, separate themselves from the city lest they be involved in the in her awful judgment. Those who uh, take a Rome interpretation here, uh, this would require a move on the part of Christians. Yet, again, it seems more likely that the exhortation is similar to 2 Corinthians 6.14, indicating that Christians must not take part in the sins of the world. This is spiritual things. you got that piling up, uh, that glued together, literally, and gives the picture of amassing sins. To the extent that the demand these sins demand punishment, is there a point at which God will no longer tolerate evil circumstances and must bring judgment? We read about that throughout the Old Testament. You know, their cup is uh, overflowing. He allows nations; he gives them opportunities to change. But when that cup gets to a point where that it's overflowing, that's just too much. Can't let that continue. Verses 6 and 7, the principle of reaping what you sow. That's found there. Babylon will be judged in accordance with her deeds, double according to her works. Uh, She was uh, lavish in her seductions, so judgment will be lavishly given. Scales will be balanced. Uh, Sits as queen, uh, she reigns as queen with the kings of the earth, ruling over earth, influencing those who dwell on earth to serve her. Not a widow, interesting. She has a multitude of men. But no husband. She boasts that she is not alone, uh, not lonely or forsaken. she's not a widow, but is always surrounded by her men. These boasts sound like a challenge to God, in my mind. Uh, but got to be careful with that. Uh, you know, I, wa- I do want to hit on something here. the principle of reaping what you sow. I, I think a lot of times folks think, uh, well, that's, uh, that's karma, what comes around? Goes around. Well, careful with that. No. Because there are going to be some people in this realm who do a lot of evil. And we may say, well, karma will get them. No, it won't. No. not that I've seen a lot of evil people go through life with everything and have everything and all of that money and in view of the, the here and now, they never get what we would say they deserve. They will on the day of judgment. That's not karma. That is God's judgment. And that's what this is talking about. So be careful with that karma uh, idea. Don't don't be saying, Oh, that's karma. What comes around goes around? No, that's different. That's a uh, don't don't think that way, please. Verses nine and ten. Oh, let me get my scripture here. Alright. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep. And lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So here we see the, the kings of the earth are standing at a distance and they mourn, they lament the loss, but uh, they're not in sympathy uh, with Babylon, they weep because of the loss to themselves, she made them what they are. They are fearful of her and uh, of, the, of her end because it came so sudden and took so little time, one hour. Seeing what happened to the powerful Babylon reflects on what's coming for them, so scary things coming and they, they see that coming. Look at verse, uh, should we read down to verse 13? Yeah, let's read 11 to 13. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their any anymore. cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of uh, uh, citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. And cinnamon, and spice, and incense, and perfume, and frankincense, and wine, and olive oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and cargoes of horses, and chariots, and slaves, and human lives. Okie dokie. That's a lot. That's a big list. We'll look at that. So they got the merchants of the earth there in verse 11. Those who profit from sin like the kings, they are out of business when Babylon is destroyed. The cargo... Seems to consist of the merchandise of the rich. None of what is mentioned is heavenly or permanent. Every item points to the luxury of the here and now. This is what Babylon seduced people into pursuing. Here's a category, a way to categorize it. There's a, quite a few things, but and I'm not going to mention every one of these again. But I will tell you, here's what the categories are. You got the ornaments of wealth. Well, you know I am going to say that. so. You got the ornaments of wealth. That's the gold, the silver, the precious stones, and the pearls. Then you got clothing of wealth. Not just jeans. You know, it's fine linen. It's purple, which is a uh, back then purple was the, the color for the rich. Silk and scarlet. Those are fine clothing. That's clothing of the wealth. Then you got the household articles of wealth. Citron wood. Ivory, costly wood, bronze and iron and marble. You know, no, no poor person could afford anything like that. Then you had the fragrances of wealth, cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense, the food of the wealth. They didn't get hamburgers, no. Wine and olive oil, and fine flour and wheat. Their business of the wealth would be the cattle and the sheep and the horses, and of course the activities of the wealth the chariots, the slaves, and the human lives. All aspects, all the aspects of uh, earthly life are included. Mineral, plant, animal, human. These are not generally the possession of the common man. All these have to do with earthly mindedness. Luxurious symbolism here. The allurements of uh, the harlot toward sin. And, it's all those things for those who are wealthy. Now, it's not to say, it's not saying that it is a sin to be wealthy or anything like that. But when you are wealthy, it's more difficult. The, uh, think think of the the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus to find out what he needed to do to, to be saved. And Jesus listed off a few of the things of the law. and He said, oh, I've kept those all my life, from since my youth. And then the Lord said, well, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now let's, before I go on, you probably know that, that, that story. It's not a parable, but you probably know that story. Uh, that's, but, but focus in on the fact that what Jesus told him what he needed to do. He's not saying this is what all rich people need to do, but this man needed to. And the reason why is, is because of his priorities and the way he viewed his riches. They were a stumbling block. For him, he, he bowed his head and walked away from Jesus sad because he had much. He was unwilling to get rid of these things for salvation. He was unwilling to uh, uh, trade in his riches for Christ. And so it was a stumbling block for him. Now, it may not be a stumbling block for you. Maybe for you it's something different. Maybe you'd be unwilling to get rid of your car or give up your your family or give up whatever Your job for Christ. Well, In the case of the wealthy, they're unwilling to give up the, uh, the things of this world. Not that they have to. It's priority problems. You can have these things. You can be rich as long as you understand what those things are for and how to use them. So just be careful is all I'm saying. Verses 14 to 20. 14 to 20. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who become, who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city! She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance, And were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, "Woe, woe! the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles. And prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Okay, verse 14. For the merchants, business is over. Nothing more to sell. Sin is done. They were able to sell because they were willing to buy. But every man and woman um, engages in sin by choice. If we buy into what Babylon offers through her merchants, it is because we wanted to. James tells us over in James 1:14, "Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own desires or lust. Note also there in verses 15 and 16 how the merchants speak of Babylon in mercantile terms while the king spoke to her in kingly terminology. The kings note the loss of power, and the merchants note the loss of revenue. And again, there is amazement in seeing how quickly it all ended for them. It happened in one hour. It was so quick. It was so fast. Now, verses 17 to 19, we are now introduced to a third group of mourners, those associated with the ships and the seas, and the listing of You know, the shipmaster, the captain, you got the passengers, those who accompany the cargo, the sailor, that's the crew, and all who make their living by the sea. Indicates that these work in conjunction with the merchants of the earth in promoting what Babylon offers. These are the ones who bring the cargo to the various merchants throughout the world. They may have a small part, but have the same accountability or judgment. They are assisting Babylon in the spread of sin. Note, at this point in the demise of Babylon, kings have nothing to rule. Merchants have nothing to sell. Shippers have no cargo to transport to the merchants. This is a vision of victory over sin. It marks the end. It is another judgment scene, but this time it gives more of a spiritual perspective than a physical perspective. At verse 20, God has pronounced judgment for you, it says. It reminds you of chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when the, the uh, Christians or the saints under the altar cry out for hey, where's our vengeance, God says, here, put these clothes on and wait, be patient. Well, here it is. Sin is gone. It has brought all the pain and suffering in the world, so there is heavenly rejoicing because it is gone. Verses 21 to 24. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon. The great city be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman or any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because, of, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, threw, uh, threw it into the sea. Uh, this is a picture of what is to happen to Babylon. She is thrown to a depth never to be raised. Again, a vision of judgment. Well, In verse 22-23, more items here uh, can be categorized. you got no entertainment. That's the harpists, the musicians, the flute players, the trumpers. No, no more entertainment. No labor. Nothing's made. No craftsmen. No any craft. There's no food. It's the sound of the bill. So no more food. No light of a lamp. Nothing to see. Uh, the bride or bridegroom, no more life to continue. No one's going to get married and have kids anymore, so that's over. And notice the progression and uh, and the all-inclusiveness of the end of earthly life. You could live without entertainment, right? True. No labor, well, that, that would be worse. No food, that's devastating. No existence without light. No re- reproduction of life either, so that's it. That's the end. And note that Babylon has infiltrated every aspect of life. Sin is universal. The point seems to be that life as we know it is over, it is done. It is a scene of judgment, isn't it? That's what's going on. And in verse 24, all who have been slain on the earth, more than just the blood of prophets here and the saints, is found in Babylon. The reason for death is sin. That's the reason. The vision of the end of Babylon is given as encouragement to Christians. I know it doesn't sound like when you're reading through it, you're like, man, that's horrible. This is encouraging for Christians. If you were being persecuted, you would be encouraged not to compromise and give in to the pressure. If you were being persecuted, tempted by the allurements of the world to give up your righteous standard of living, you would be encouraged not to yield to temptation by seeing what is to happen to sin and to those who embrace sin. It may be hard for us. We live in a very wealthy country. Wealthy time people in our country, we it's easy to get all these things. It's not hard for us. But we better have the right priorities. We better understand that these things are not going to last. They're, they're uh, uh, finite. They will co- come to an end. If we die before the day of judgment, we can't take any of these things with us. So what are we preparing ourselves for? Are we preparing ourselves for a place in heaven? And there is a way to prepare. There is something we can do. Not that we earn our salvation. Not saying that. It's not that we do something to say, God, so that God may say, oh, wait, hey, you did a good job. You can come in. Not at all. God is simply asking us to prioritize things correctly. You try and be like my son At the best you can. I'll know if you're being honest. I know all. He, God knows all things. He knows the heart. As long as you're trying. You can't, you'll be moving in the right direction. You will go to heaven. If you try to do things the Lord's way, and not your way or any other man's way, but the Lord's way. Think about that. We'll be looking at chapter 19. Maybe next week I might be uh, looking at uh, Christmas and the idea of Santa Claus. I might kind of throw that in there. Uh, or maybe I'll just make a separate program. I'm not sure. But my time is running out. Folks, have a good, uh, good week. Have a good day. Uh, be careful out there. Enjoy the weather. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday. You have many families over and lots of children to bring joy to your life at this time of year. Thank you, and God bless. Sin and not to sweep away till on the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out, ring it out, bring it out till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's Mighty Son. Bring it out. Bring it out, bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.